Hello. Hello. Welcome to the School Bridge Podcast. I'm Piers. I'm Maggie. And today we have episode 11 where we're talking about classroom management and more specifically that everybody struggles with classroom management. Oh, yeah. Everybody. A- absolutely. Doesn't matter if you're a first year teacher or in your 30th year, you're struggling with classroom management. It might just not look like it. Exactly. You're working with kids. You're going to struggle with management. So that's kind of what we're talking about today, classroom management. We're going to give some some broad strokes about classroom management, but we have four chapters today. We're talking about the overview. We're talking about prevention is the best medicine. Then we're going to talk about how you actually manage misbehavior when it does arise, and then the mindsets that you can use going into your planning when you're thinking about classroom management. Yeah. All right. Let's dive in. All right, go for it. So really the first chapter is we just want to norm that everyone struggles with classroom management. It's hard. And that does not mean that you are a bad teacher. It does not mean that you are a weak teacher. It's just part of teaching. There's this tendency to think that, you know, if you're a new teacher and you compare yourself to teachers who have been there for a couple of years and their classrooms look different than yours, that you're just a weak teacher or you're a weak manager. Yeah. But everybody struggles with classroom management. Everybody. For sure. And you, you know, you might have a coworker or a co-teacher whose classroom is just this really smooth running machine. You walk in and you're like, this is the antithesis of my classroom. I've certainly been there. And it doesn't it doesn't mean that they have different kids per se or that they've, you know, they're just different than you. They have just found the management moves that work for them. Right. It's totally easy to say, oh, well, you got the easy class. Yeah. You know, you don't have this group that I have. Mm-hmm. But just know that everybody is on their own, you know, management plan. Mm-hmm. Everybody is struggling with management, but it just looks different in different rooms. For sure. And it can look really differently for yourself year to year too, right? Yeah. And we know all about that the fact that there's different schools. You yes. might have a school that looks like Presbyluski in season four of The Wire. <laughs> Don't bring me back. Yeah. Or <laughs> you might look like you're in Matilda. What was her what was her name? Miss Honey. Yeah. You might have Miss Honey's yeah. classroom in Matilda. So we know that Schools are all different, mm-hmm. but everybody struggles with management, especially the ones who don't look like they're struggling. They have struggled in the past. They just have a few things down now that you'll learn. Exactly. So we just wanted to norm that to, to set the tone. Um, there's no shame in struggling with management. There's there's no let go of any guilt that you might have. And uh, we've got some tips that I think will make it better. Right. And it never goes away. Like You do get better at management, but I think that you get better at knowing what things to prioritize, what things to let go. You become more chill about management. Yeah. But every year, you know, I have to reset my management. And I become a better manager over time just because I know my skills and I know how to prevent it. For sure. But it doesn't become easier. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes a little more natural. And we can get into that more in like chapter four, like mindsets and things to think about. But it's it's never ending. It's part of the game. If you're struggling, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad teacher. And yeah, we've got some tips. So let's dig in. All right, go for it. So prevention is the best medicine. Yes. You want to lead us off? Sure. So that's true with everything, right? I think that's usually like a health-based sort of idiom. Um, But it is so true for classroom management. If you, I mean, that's the ideal, right? If you can create a room where your kids never misbehave in the first place, that's ideal, you know? Um, That might be a little too idealistic, but there are teacher moves we can take to prevent misbehaviors from happening as often as they may be or as often as they would be if you weren't taking those steps. 
Right. When we're thinking about prevention, we're thinking what steps can you take before you even teach the lesson so that your management is is mitigated or so that misbehavior doesn't have the chance to arise. Yeah. And I think that's the first big bucket of preventing misbehaviors is your lesson plan, right? And not I think sometimes the first thought when you hear that, or at least my first thought when I first heard that was, oh, it has to be really flashy. It has to be super engaging. You know, if my kids are bored, they're going to cause havoc. But it's much more about accessibility. You know, like if if you have kids who are misbehaving, sometimes you need to ask, can they actually access the material that I'm giving them? Or do I need to provide more support or more differentiation? Is is the misbehavior actually a symptom of them not being able to access the information? I love that you were talking about access. Yeah. When you're doing your lesson planning, it doesn't have to be this big engaging thing that's going to create, you know, a wonderful classroom with easy classroom management. Yeah. Sometimes that super engaging lesson can, you know, wind up the kids even more. Yeah. But when you're lesson planning, you're thinking, can all of my kids access the information? Are they somehow invested in what we're learning? And do they all have the opportunity to engage with the material? Right. Because if they don't have that opportunity to engage with your lesson or with the material, that's when they're going to look for reasons to act out. I mean, we know so many kids who are acting out are because they're bored. I mean, the lesson's too easy for them. They know this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're just looking for something to occupy their brains. For sure. So having access to the material is one thing. And then you know, once they have access to that material, how are they stretched? How can they keep thinking when, you know, they feel like they've sort of checked that box? Yeah, you're right. It's both ends of the spectrum. Kids who can actually access and understand because you're providing scaffolds or bringing things to the level that they need and kids who, you know, their brains are being pushed. And then I think time chunks too are another important piece of a lesson in terms of behavior. You know, even the most perfectly behaved kids, if you give them a 30 minute reading with 20 you know what I you know the point I'm trying to make they're going to get a little bored they're going to get a squirrely they're going to act out a little bit yeah that's when we're talking about your lesson and you were talking about time chunking put yourself in the kids shoes while you're going through that lesson plan we're not saying you have to have you know we're not saying you have to spend 3 hours lesson planning no. and thinking of every single thing that can go right or could go wrong but if you were a kid and you just did the do now And then you have like 15 heavy minutes of notes. And then your guided practice is something really similar to what your intro looked like. And then your independent practice is just like your guided practice, same format, but just now you're alone. Yep. There's so many opportunities there for you to try to do something else with your brain where you get a little bit bored or you want to talk to your neighbor. Yep. If you're just sitting there the whole time and there's no changes or it isn't chunked right, yeah, behavior is going to come up. You know, like you said, those 10 minute time or those time chunks, like five, 10 minute beats. Yep. Maybe they're out of their seats for something. Maybe they're doing whole brain teaching. Yep. But you're doing something in your lesson plan to know that classroom management is going to come up. How can you mitigate that with a good lesson plan? Exactly. That's perfect. And then I think another piece is clear directions. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're both huge fans of, of crystal clear directions. Yeah, no more than three directions. No. And they got to be displayed. Displayed, very concise. And if you're a stickler for directions like I am, each one should start with a verb. So there, it's number one, write blah, 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 blah. Number two, draw blah, 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 right? So like the first word is their action item. And then always follow it up with a check for understanding. Yep. Like, hey, Maggie, 
Can you give me a summary? What were the directions? I don't remember. I wasn't listening. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually think that when we're talking about prevention, when I have my directions written, it helps me a lot because we know as soon as we start speaking, sometimes you get interrupted. You Mm -hmm. can't even finish a sentence without a kid saying to their neighbor, hey, can I borrow a pencil? Or like, hey, what are you doing? Or like trying to whisper something (laughs) and... All I've done as a teacher is try and start a new sentence, and then I have to stop because you're doing something in class. But yeah. if they're written on the board, you can have a kid read it. Mm-hmm. You can read them. You can read them back. More checks for understanding. Like, okay, what's a way we can rephrase this? Yep. I think when they're displayed and they're written, you know, they have to take a pause. They have to read, and it does help with that that effect that comes in when you're trying to give directions verbally and yep. some students start speaking while you're speaking and then you have to re-give the direction. Yep. Yeah, write them out. That's so true. And I love to those first two things, right? Making sure your lesson is accessible and making sure that your directions are, you know, like sort of leak proof. Those both prevent misbehaviors. And I, I think it's a good just thought exercise too, because they assume that our kids aren't trying to misbehave, right? They often are not trying to misbehave, but there's something else that's causing them to do so. And so thinking of those two things can prevent misbehaviors that they weren't even aiming to do in the first place, you know? You are making me think, when I have to manage the classroom the most is usually when I'm giving directions Mm. or when I'm doing some intro to new material. But those directions when I'm really trying to transition from one activity to another one and they just won't listen as good as they possibly can be. Yeah. Like most are listening, but you know you need 100%. Yep. You know, you've got the two or three kids that are looking at something else and you're just waiting for them. Yep. If you can display those directions or if there could be concise and you can give directions and bring them in and be like, hey, 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 I still need you. I still need you. Yeah. Before you go off, that's that's part of that prevention. Agreed. So. Let's say you've got your lesson great. Okay. It's engaging, it's accessible, it's it's appropriate for their developmental age. Yeah. Your directions are crystal clear. Crystal clear directions. You've read them together, you've checked for understanding. They're displayed on the board. They look great. Of course. Always. Always. And you start teaching and we maybe get the sense maybe someone starts talking or you get the sense that someone is on the verge of making a not so great choice. There are still things that you can do. Right. You've just said go and you notice that most of the class has started, but we've got that, you know, that one group in the corner. <laughs> they're having a little bit of a harder time getting started. This is when we're getting into our least invasive interventions. Exactly. And that just means what teacher moves can you make in that moment that will not interrupt learning? Right. I like the title least invasive because you're trying to redirect an individual person or a small group without having to invade the entire class. Exactly. Let mm-hmm. let the learning continue. All right. So let's say we do have that small group that's having a little bit of a harder time getting started. Yeah. What's one of the least invasives <laughs> that you would use? My first go-to is proximity. Just go be near them. Go yep. stand next to them. And just physically having the teacher next to you is is often enough of a subtle cue and pressure to get kids to make a better choice in that moment. They know what you're doing. They oh, yeah. know why you're there. They know, <laughs> they are, they're not like, oh, well, she's using proximity on me right now. No. <laughs> no. They just say like, oh, teach Mrs. right here. Better get started. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can't really hide if I'm standing right next to you. And that's also, you know, you get just gave the directions. You start circulating. Yeah. That group's having a little bit of a hard time getting going or we have a friend who just won't pick up their pencil. Yeah. Just a little bit of proximity can kind of give that gentle nudge. So that's a good least invasive. Yeah. And then you've also got the anonymous redirect. 
Are you talking about like, oh, I think I've got I've got 90%, but I'm waiting for 10? Yes. Or, or almost everyone has their pencil down and eyes on me waiting for two more. Yep. Oh my gosh, we're almost there. We're just one waiting more, on one. Pencil down, eyes on me. Yep. Yeah. And, and it, it lets everybody know like, all right, I'm waiting for you. And if you're the friend who doesn't, isn't quite ready, it's a nice, innocent way of being called to attention without being called out. Exactly. You're not calling anyone out. You're not drawing attention to a specific person. Some age, I mean, you know, there's always that one kid who's like, dude, seriously. Yeah, come on. And you're like, oh, I was trying to be subtle. But for the most part, that's a that's a good move if you can't go, like if I can't use proximity, maybe I need to be in the front of the room. I'm trying to to get everyone's attention. And so I don't want to walk over to a kid that's going to draw more attention. So that's that's a good one if you're like, you're almost there, you almost have everybody, and you want to just seal the deal and move, you know, get everybody before you move on. Right. And you can speed it up to, you can get in that positive praise. And be like, wow, thank you, Maggie, for having your pencil out. Or I love how Jeremy has his notebook open and he's getting started. Yep. Just that subtle cue, that anonymous redirect to get everybody else to also get their pencil out, also open their notebook. Yeah. Praise and specific narration is is great. That's one of my go-tos as well. Yep. And that's, okay, we kind of hinted on this earlier, but then the self-interrupt, you know, <laughs> you're giving directions and you have a friend who nudges their neighbor mm-hmm. and you have the sudden pause. Like, okay, everyone quick open. And then it's a little bit awkward for the kids. And then then you say it again. And yep. you, that that self-interrupt, right? That abrupt stop in the middle of the sentence. Yep. That can help a lot. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's some days where I feel like I self-interrupt probably more than I ask questions even, you know, but it, it works. It's a good cue, especially if it's really dramatic. Like you said, you're in the middle of a sentence. You're giving your directions. You're about to move. You could stop mid-word, you know, and the kids are like, well, you know, and the kid who was off task, that silence kind of jolts them back to reality because they were in their own little world for a second there. Yeah, I swear last week I must have done, I mean, it's just natural now. You do the self-interrupt when you're trying to give directions and you hear that chime up from a student out of the Mm -hmm. corner and yeah, you just, you naturally stop. And I must have done the self-interrupt like two or three times just trying to give the same direction. <laughs> but it's because I didn't have them displayed. I was trying to change activities. See, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And timers? Timers. Yeah, this isn't like a one specific strategy. I just think timers are really, really good for management. You know, whether you have a timer with a set time to say, okay, you have three minutes to do this or four minutes to do this because that urgency kind of moves them along. Or you use a stopwatch a lot, which I think is pretty awesome too. Yeah, I'm really lucky that on our interactive whiteboard, there's a stopwatch feature. Yeah. And so I can click, you know, two quick buttons and a stopwatch comes up and we might be transitioning between activities. You start the stopwatch, it displays, the kids see that you're timing them and yeah, they just move a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Um, And it works really well when I am trying to get everybody back and I'm not trying to say like, all right, if you can hear me clap once or, you know. If you can hear me, go back to your seats. Yeah. I just start the stopwatch. A couple kids will see it and be like, dude, 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 uh-huh. let's go. Um, and I swear that's a really good way to get the kids back on track yeah. without having to call anybody out. Yeah. And you can even build challenges around that too. You know, if you're tracking time to do things or whatever, you know, you keep points or you can build in some fun challenges and kind of, um, you know, get them invested in it that way too. So just kind of circling back. This is all about preventing misbehavior from coming up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And whatever little teacher moves that you can do to, you know, stop the kids before they they kind of 
crescendo over that hump and you're needing to do a whole class reset. If you can do these little things to prevent the misbehavior from even coming in, mm-hmm. that's just that's what a good classroom looks like. You know, yeah. when you see the teacher who just seems like management is easy for them, they've just done all these things to prevent it from bubbling up in the first place. Yeah. And when you watch a really excellent teacher in those moments, you see it. You know, you see that they'll go walk next to one kid and while they're listening to that kid, they're looking across the room and giving, oh, a nonverbal. That's another least invasive, right? Yep. A little nonverbal signal or praising something, going back to the kid that they're working next to. You know, I mean, it's it's incredible. Teach, I, And I say this all the time, but teachers are just really amazing people. When you said the nonverbal, you made me think of the look. You know, you oh. know there's the two looks that the teachers have. <laughs> You've got the, you know, that kind of stern look is like, yo, you need to sit down <laughs> and cut not. that out. I think not. And then you have, you know, the WTF look like, what oh, are you doing? I use that one. That's why I'm getting the some fine lines is from my kids. You know, they do something and you just, it's that very like, yeah. C- excuse me, what? Did you really just throw that? Yes. But you're just giving them the look? Or you're getting up to sharpen your pencil in the middle of the directions? Yeah. You know, and I then know. they're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all of those, you know, least invasives, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having to call a kid out saying like, I just told you to sit down. Right. That doesn't feel good. No, that doesn't feel good. And that actually takes away from learning at that point. Right. And the kids will respect you because they'll know, they'll respect that you're trying when mm-hmm. you're doing the least invasives and you say, you know, just waiting on three, just waiting on four. The kids who are on track will know that you're just waiting for our friends that need a little bit extra time to yeah. get on track. And you praise the ones who are doing it really well so yeah. that they feel seen, you know? Yeah, and they, they'll appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about kind of the overview that everybody struggles mm-hmm. and that, that you should do your best to prevent mm-hmm. misbehavior. But we've all been there yeah. where all of a sudden it it is a little more out of control than you want it to be. Yeah. And your past prevention, you're actively managing misbehavior. Yes. And that, at that point, and again, yes, we've all been there. I have, I have been there more times than I can count. Um, we've all been there. If you're listening to this, everyone, everyone goes through this. Yes, and especially when you're a new teacher, you're, there's so much to manage and remember and keep track of and do it at a high level while you've got you know X number of kids in front of you. So yes, it's okay if you're here right now um, and you might be there later. And so when it gets to that point, we now are no longer preventing. We actually need to reset. And whether it's resetting the whole room or a group, we need to reset, we need to renorm, and we need to start again. You know, And they're just like with least invasives, there are a couple different ways that we can do that. And when you think about reset, like when I first learned about you know resetting the classroom, I thought it was this big thing that you wanted to barely ever do. Mm. You didn't want to have to rely on resetting. Yeah. So there's different levels to resetting and there's resetting that you'll do frequently throughout a lesson. And then there is that that whole class like, okay, we've taken this too far. We're doing a hard reset. Yeah. And we're hoping to only do one or two hard resets throughout the year. That's a great point because the the tried and true trusty favorite if you can hear me clap once. Oh, if you can hear me clap twice. Right. Or my new favorite that I learned recently. If you can hear me clap once, get get most of their attention and say, if you can hear me, take a quiet, deep breath. Oh, that's that, a good one. Yep. Yeah. 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 If you can hear me, you know, give a little shh sound, yeah. you know, if you can hear me clap once and then you can make it fun. Like if you can hear me, hit the table. Yeah. But those are a form of resetting, right? Because you, you are gathering everyone's attention and... Once you have that, 
you now can do something else, right? You can do that next step. So if it's gotten a little out of control, you've got some friends making poor choices, get their attention, right? That's the first step. Gather their attention. Clapping is great. If you can hear me, whatever. But do something that you need to do. Maybe you have your own system um, to get their attention. And make sure, no matter what, that you don't talk over them. No, don't try and rush it. Because, you know, sometimes the older middle school kids or the high school kids would say, I'm too cool for clapping. Mm -hmm. But And they might not clap, but they will get quiet when they're hearing everybody else clap. Yes. But like you were just saying, don't actually give more directions or say what to do next until it actually is silent and you have 100%. Yeah. It can be tempting to say, if you can hear me clap once, if you can hear me clap twice, and you have most people to then suddenly want to give those directions. But... It's okay to wait and use that quiet power before moving on. Yes. I was just thinking of quiet power. I would say like not only is that okay, but I that's like my number one recommendation. And it might take three, four, five times. You might have to do different iterations. You might have to say if you can hear me clap once, et cetera, and then wait. But it's better to wait. Wait. Don't talk over the kids. And I would even almost say quiet power could could also be a least invasive, right? If you notice that they're starting to talk, you get quieter. Don't talk over them. Right. The kids always tease me because they've seen that meme online of the teacher that says, I'll wait. (laughs) And it's a skeleton. And it's a skeleton. (laughs) And you're like, oh, you're just forever waiting. They know what you're trying to do. They know that you want to give some directions or make a statement and you want everybody's attention. It's good. You yeah. Know? Just just wait. Be patient. I know it can feel – I remember feeling very anxious in those moments when I was a newer teacher. And it it's quicker than it feels to you, right? It feels very long to us in those moments when we're waiting. But that would be my number one recommendation is just keep waiting. I remember thinking if a coach was watching me and, you know, I'll do if you can hear me clap once, if you can hear me clap twice. And I have almost everybody, but then I'm waiting to give the directions that, mm-hmm. you know, if I was waiting too long, I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you do have to wait, you know, that extra couple beats just to make sure that everyone is settled yeah. and that you're the only voice that's filling that space. Yes. And pair it with some least invasives too, right? If you can hear me clap once, thank you, peers. If you can hear me clap twice, oh, I love that Danielle is ready. If you can hear me clap once one more time, oh my goodness, we're almost there. Right? So you're narrating in between two. And that's going to help kind of gather more people along the way. Yeah. So those are kind of the smaller resets that you'll do pretty frequently. Yeah. You know, especially in the transitions. You know, if you need me clap once or when you just wait, the kids will know that you've got, they've got something else coming up next. Yeah. But, but lean into that quiet power. And it might be something where, like you said, that's a, a smaller reset. Maybe you guys are doing a really fun activity and it's just too loud. Yeah. You know, and so you gather everyone's attention. You wait until you have everyone. You re-explain the expectation. Don't hammer it too far, right? Like, just say it. We need to be a little bit quieter. Please, everyone, bring your voices down. You're doing great with X, Y, Z. Go. Right? Like, use that economy of language. Just have a couple words. And then let them go again, you know? And then sometimes, sometimes the level of, you know, classroom behavior is just a little bit past this. Yes, it is. And And that's when we have to get into kind of those whole class larger resets. Yeah. And sometimes this can happen because, you know, a negative thing happened or it can happen because it's positive and the classroom is just a little too amped today. True. And one of the best resets is just, you know, changing up the space Mm -hmm. really quick. Leave the space. Leave the space. It's more than fine if you need to stop everybody with what they're doing, politely ask them to stand up Mm -hmm. 
ask everybody to walk out of the room and you go out there with them, you pause, you take a couple of deep breaths with them, and you reset expectations outside the door as you come in. You give one or two really clear directions and then you try it again. Yeah. And if they don't do it right the first time, it's okay to have them stand up and be like, all right, that was good. We did these things right, but I'm still looking for these next moves. Mm -hmm. Let's try it one more time. Yeah. Or that was better. That was better. Yeah. That was better. And I mean, we, we've done that too, where you have to do oh, that whole yeah. class reset where you bring them outside. 100%. And sometimes it's not, you know, it's not because the best situation has just happened. Right. But you have to change the space up so that when they re-enter, it's like they're re-entering a new space. That's so true. And I think I was really afraid to do like that large of a whole class reset when I was newer. And I should have a lot sooner because I would sometimes push through. I think I was just afraid. I was afraid that once we left the room, things would get even more out of hand or I don't know. I really don't know. But I was really nervous to try that. And when you do it orderly, calmly, when I stopped stating what they were doing wrong and instead just saying what I want them to do, that was a game changer too. But yeah, get them out of the space. Get them out of the space. Reline up. Don't keep going on and on about what they did wrong. Just say, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then control the threshold, right? Don't let them all plow back in and go back to what they were doing. Let three kids in and then pause the line. Yep. And narrate the positive like, yep. I love that you sat down at your desk right away and you started your math. Thank yep. you. Use that quiet power, you yep. know, let two more kids in. And Thank you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I actually think I've probably done more whole class resets where we're leaving the space because the kids are just too amped up. Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing group work. And they're just a little bit louder that yeah. day, you know, they're, they're doing the work, but they are kind of being, you know, social with each other mm -hmm. and they're peacocking and they're just trying <laughs> to be big and loud kids. So you just bring them out again. You know, I love the enthusiasm, but let's, as we enter the space, let's bring it down a couple notches mm -hmm. and then, yeah, you just try it again. Yeah. Yeah. But leaving the space, it's huge. Yes. You know, um, and I would say that. If you're in a school, you've probably seen teachers do this already. It's mm -hmm. okay if you're doing it. It's okay if you do it the first week. It's okay if you're doing it in October. Oh, I yeah. did it last week. Yeah. And it wasn't, it's not a negative thing. It's not a big, bad thing. It's just like, mm, you know what? <laughs> we can do a little bit better than this. Yeah. And if I'm feeling a little bit flustered, like I don't want to be in that space either. So we reset. And I like that too, because when you walk out, it kind of gives me a minute to take a breath and like recenter myself and remind myself that even if I was feeling frustrated a moment ago, that this is small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. I got this. They're great kids. And you just start fresh. Right. You, you know, it's almost, you were just starting to talk about this when, you know, the kids are amped up. That's when we go calm. Yes. And you got to kind of be the opposite of their energy sometimes. If they're really, really amped up, that's when, yeah, you calm down a little bit. When they're really loud, that's when you get quiet. Yep. And I remember one of my coaches telling me, you know, when the class is pretty loud, you know, the worst thing that you can be doing is trying to call out directions really loudly. Yeah. You need to slow down. You need to be quieter so that the kids naturally will bring down their noise level so that they can hear you. Mm -hmm. And they will. Yeah. They will. They will. All right. Okay. So quiet power, leaving the space, having to do those resets. Yep. Those are some things you can do when you're, you know, managing the misbehavior. Yeah. When the prevention hasn't worked as well as you would like it to. So 
those are kind of three of our four chapters, but let's talk, you know, more holistically about mindsets about management. Yeah. I remember learning that the the management seesaw is if you look at you know a balance beam or if you look at a seesaw, that management and relationships, they need to be on the same level. Mm-hmm. If your relationships are really high, your expectations also need to be high. If your expectations are really low, chances are your management is going to be really low too. And something I remember you teaching you this some time ago, but you know, if if it's off balance, that's that's could be de- really detrimental to the learning environment or the kids, right? So if your relationships are really high, you're like, oh great, I have great relationships with my kids, but your expectations are low, right? Right now, you're going to have a situation where there's not going to be a whole lot of learning happening because they're not going to listen, and they they might not even be taking you seriously, you know? Right. And then vice versa, of course, if you don't have very good relationships and your expectations are high, now you're kind of the mean teacher. You're overly strict with no reason. They they can't understand why you're strict, right? And so that's hard to learn too because it's not as sort of um, – there's not as much trust there. No, right. If you really want to have high expectations, you have to do the the time getting to know them and investing in those relationships. Yeah, and just being a warm demander, right? Like when I redirect kids, I'm not mean. No. It's not personal. It's it's very clear, but I'm not angry about it, you know, and it's just when you treat everyone like that and check in with kids, right? If someone's having a hard day, you you don't go straight to the consequence. You check in on them first. Right. The kids know that, you know, you're not going to give up on them. You're always there for them. You have mm-hmm. a short memory. You know, they might have had a rough day yesterday, but they get a fresh chance today. 100%. But your expectations don't change. Yeah. They're, you know, they're always the highest expectations that you can, you know, keep them to, but you support that with investing in those relationships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of, I think maybe just a foundation of management is that, that mindset. Sometimes the kids who I've been, you know, that I've had the hardest time with, it's because I haven't had the best relationship with them because mm-hmm. maybe our first interaction was I was managing them, but I didn't know who they were as people yet. Yes. And... When you get to know the kids, you know, as people, they'll then, they just, they want to do so much better for you because they know that you care about them. They do. And then you know, maybe different ways to approach certain situations with them. If they shut down when you do something, you know, or if they really respond well to praise, you know, it it, it goes both ways. I remember being kind of frustrated with a coach because I was having a hard time managing this one kid and... I was only thinking about this kid's behavior. Mm. And, you know, they remind me that, you know, behavior is like an iceberg. You only see in class what they have up top. You don't see what's happening beneath the surface. And the only way to know what's happening beneath the surface is to have a good relationship with that kid. That's a great point. Yeah. So, good visual. yeah. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember being kind of frustrated because he was asking me, like, well, how's the relationship? And I was like, like, you know, you're put, I felt like he was putting it on me. Yeah. Um, but it was the kid who needed to fix that problem. But I was a newer teacher. I didn't see that. Oh, okay. Like I can prevent this if I spend more time investing in those relationships. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's a good example. Yeah. He was a great coach. Yeah. And then I think another mindset is just, it's, it's never too late to improve your management. It's never too late to shift from managing misbehaviors to preventing them in the first place, you know, and even if your culture isn't where you want it to be, you take these steps, you reset, you sh- like you said, you show them you care, you spend time on that. And 
you can make your management better. You can improve that classroom culture. It's not too late. We can, you know, it's we're coming up in October now. Mm -hmm. And I remember October is always kind of a harder month for teachers because, you know, August is the honeymoon period. September kind of backs up to that honeymoon period. And you've got like the, the wheels are really going now. You're learning, you know. Right. You're like now you're in like, you know, mid-October. Yeah. And the kids are pushing boundaries. Halloween's coming up. You're mm -hmm. too far away from the holiday breaks. Yeah. That this is when management really comes in. And, you know, what might have felt like a wonderful classroom experience back in August now can feel a little bit different. And you have to reset those expectations. You have to do a little bit more prevention. Mm -hmm. But know that management really happens kind of in these harder times of the year. Yeah. And every day is fresh. Yep. Every day is fresh. Yep. All right. And then I think the last one is really just this idea of power struggles. Yeah. You know, and that can happen. I've I've been there. I did that when I was a New Year teacher. It's okay. It's another one. There's like there's no shame. There's no guilt, but that really is just something to avoid as much as you possibly can because if you look at what's gained and what's lost, it's it's not worth it. Power struggles are a lose-lose. Yeah. And I think it was from the book Teaching with Love and Logic where I saw this is don't engage in the power struggles. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be trying to redirect a student and they might be in somewhat of a combative mood. If they're in that kind of combative mood, there's a wall up there. Yep. And you can't break down, you know, you can't break through that wall. You just have to wait for that wall to kind of fade away. Mm -hmm. So I remember seeing, and, you know, when you're in that power struggle, you know, you don't even realize that you're in it right away. But all of a sudden, you'll ask a student to do something and they'll challenge you on it and you won't do it. And maybe you'll ask them, you know, you'll rephrase it or you'll do another, you know, anonymous redirect and they're challenging you and they won't do it. Yeah. You got to walk away. Yeah. It's okay. It's not like you like power struggles or a lose-lose. That student just isn't in the right frame of mind to, you know, change their behavior in that moment. And continuing to insist on it is not going to get them there, you know? And if I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of like, but I can't let him win. And if you're thinking about it like that, I encourage you to try thinking about it differently, right? Like it's not about winning. This isn't this is not a battle. This is about protecting the learning environment, helping kids learn and stay safe. And in that moment, that like you said, that wall, it, you can't break it down in that moment. And it's okay to walk away from those. It really is. And then circle back with that kid later, find out what was going on. That's an amazing time to invest in that relationship. And Sometimes you can even move forward stronger than you were before, you know? I think we can be tempted to think, oh, I'm in a power struggle with the student right now and the rest of the class is watching, you know, yeah. if I don't, quote, win this right now, that I'm going to lose the culture of the classroom. Yep. But the classroom will know like, hey, this person is just really struggling today mm -hmm. and you're going to look worse as a teacher if you continue to engage in that oh, yeah. than if you just say like, hey, I'm going to come back. All right. I really, I mostly care that you're okay right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back. The class will see that you're going to come back to them, but you're just going to go back to what you were doing as a teacher. You didn't lose anything there no. by having the class, you know, not see you win that power struggle. And that could even be a time, maybe that's like an individual reset, right? Like if, if I ever see that starting to happen, my first thought is, hey, bud, do you want to go get a drink? 
or like, do you want to go take a quick walk or, you know, take a second in the bathroom, right? Get like, we're all only human, you know, and you don't want to think of this person as just an academic student. And so sometimes if they just have a small break and they get to leave the space as well, that can make a world of difference. For sure. Yeah. All right. Recap time? Recap time. All right. Go for it. Okay. So overview, everybody struggles. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not a bad teacher. Management is hard. Yep. Prevention is the best medicine. Yep. When you see a great teacher and it looks like they have no management issues, it's Mm -hmm. probably because they've done a really good job preventing it from bubbling up in the first place. Mm -hmm. You want to have those lessons airtight. You want to make sure there's there's access for all kids. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're using least invasive interventions and that you've got those clear directions to help prevent misbehavior from rising. Yep. And then if it does rise and you do have some misbehaviors, it's okay to manage that. It's okay to reset the space. It's okay to you know have them leave the room. It's okay to be very firm about your expectations once you gather their attention. Um, don't be afraid to reset and just do it as a warm demander so that you're, you're balancing those expectations and those relationships. Yep. Yeah. That's the last one. That's the mindset yeah. is relationships and expectations have to be in balance. Yeah. If you want to have high expectations, you have to have high relationships. Yep. You don't want to have super strong relationships and have absolutely no expectations. Exactly. All right. What are you going to work on this week? Ooh. I think just sort of a bucket of of my least invasives, like just being really aware, like kind of having good teacher radar, right? Like just really scanning and being aware of my kiddos so that I can use that proximity and use that praise as soon as possible. Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, it's always a good thing to continue working on genuine positive praise. Yep. All right. Is that what you're going to work on? That's what I'm going to work on. All right. You know, I did a lot of self-interrupting last week. (laughs) I'm going to transition a little bit more into, you know, more positive praise. Yeah. Quiet power. Quiet power. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're wishing you all a wonderful week with excellent children and perfect lessons. And thank you for listening to School Bridge. Bye. Bye.